So at the risk of being redundant, <laughs> let's do this. Let's just start with, let's start with the Bible story, Bible passage this morning, and we'll just kind of see where it goes. How's that sound? Um, so Matthew, be a familiar, a, a new take on a familiar story. It's amazing what a little digging will do. Um, so Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, Jesus, or Matthew tells us this story. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I have a man under, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to that one come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it and when Jesus heard this he marveled and said to those who followed assuredly I say to you I have not found such great faith not even in Israel and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then Jesus said to the centurion go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done. And his servant was healed that same hour. This is one of the most scandalous stories in all of the Bible. It's absolute scandal. If we really unpack it, which I plan on doing, if it happened today, it, it, it'd be a huge scandal. It'd be on the, it'd be front cover of Charisma magazine. Those of you that know about that stuff. Dr. Michael Brown would be leading a charge to have a, uh, what they call that thing they did to Todd Bentley? Uh, uh, tribunal. They actually called it a tribunal. They'd, he'd be leading a tribunal. It'd be all over Facebook and YouTube. And they would demand that Jesus be outed. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most scandalous, heretical stories in all of the Bible. And it kind of starts with this idea of the servant. So... <laughs> There's there's a couple words in Greek for servant, and when it refers to, like like when you read that and you hear his servant, my servant is lying at a point of death. What what do you think? What comes to your mind? He's a Roman centurion, powerful Roman person, probably uh, slave, right? Yeah, that's what I thought too. The Greek word there though, the Greek word for slave is doulos, doulos, doulos is probably more. <laughs> It's probably more better how you say it. I hear my mom's voice every time I swear or say a cuss word or an unkind word, and every time I get bad grammar, I hear my mom's voice in my head. <laughs> so you too. So doulos probably more better, better, whatever. But that's not the word that's used there. Um, the word that's used there is payos, and. Uh, it's never really a word that's used for a slave at all. And so I thought, that's interesting. I haven't seen that word before. Um, so I dug into it. Now, let me just give you a hint. If you look in your standard Bible stuff, like dictionaries, some of them, Vine's Dictionary, Strong's Concordance, Thayer's, um, those are kind of the go-tos for most people. Or you look in your commentaries. Not only are you dealing with something that is decades and decades and decades old 
you're also dealing with something that is completely and totally biased by a theological position. And I can say that with absolute assurance. So it proves nothing to me when people go to a Greek word and they use one of those references, especially Strong's, because Strong's is completely outdated and been proven to be completely wrong in some of the information that's there. That's just the truth. So when I start researching a word, I try to dig in a little bit deeper and see what actual scholars of the ancient Near East are saying. Like, what are the... Um, how is it used in other places outside of the Bible? And you got to realize there are certain words, like torment, the word for torment, since we've been on this health thing, where it says that they'll be tormented in uh, the lake of fire, the book of Revelation. That word torment, they could not find any correspondence in the Greek at all. So they made it up. Just the absolute truth. Now, with new archaeological discoveries and stuff like that, they find new tablets and things where they find inscriptions or whatever. And however these guys do this, I don't know, it amazes me that they can. But then they're able to find out what the words actually mean. And so that word torment, they just in the last couple of, I don't know, maybe even in the last ten years, they discovered some archaeological stuff that reveals that word also being used. And it's a reference to... Uh, Purification that a blacksmith would do. So it's not tormented forever, it's, it's purification. Which maybe we should have guessed because the Greek speaking church world, the Greek Orthodox Church does not believe in hell as a place of torment. They believe it is a place of purification, go figure. But, so this is one of those words. So what I'm saying is, is you can go and you can find how was it used? How did Plato use it? How did, how was it used by Aristotle? How was it used in Greek culture and Greek thinking? And so when, you, <laughs> oh Jesus, help me. When you find out how the word paos is used in secular Greek culture, it refers to the homosexual lover. Of a Greco-Roman person. It's a beloved <laughs> servant. <laughs> oh, scandal, right? So he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my gay lover is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. I mean, you can you can research it, you can Google it, you'll find all the apologetics for why it really it means that when Plato uses it and Aristotle uses it, but it can't possibly mean that when it is in the Bible. So you know, but do your due diligence. It's easy to check it out. But that's literally what he's saying. And yeah, and Jesus says, "Oh no, he must repent." <laughs> Jesus says, this, this, this thing that came on him is a curse from God. Jesus says, uh, he's got the coronavirus because he was being naughty. Turn or burn. Repent. Change your ways. And Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. And then, of course, the centurion says, you don't have to come. And Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, 
So scandal number one is it's a gay lover. Scandal number two is Jesus said he has great faith. Now, it's very, very easy to see, and it's frustrating for me that I didn't see it for so many years, and I just want to bang my head against the wall sometimes when talking to people that don't want to see it. It's true ignorance. It really is ignorance, because the word ignorance, what's the root word to that? It's to ignore. So that means you don't engage the material. You don't engage the thought. You don't engage the knowledge. You purposely ignore the knowledge because it doesn't fit with your paradigm and it's too upsetting to you to to look at. There's too much cognitive dissonance. So you choose, willfully choose, a lot of people, to remain ignorant, right? But it's very easy to see that there's this evolution, uh, this idea of faith, the way it's used by Jesus and the way it's used by the biblical writers and the way it's used even two, three centuries later by the Greco-Roman church are completely different things. Because when you talk about a person's faith today, what when we use that reference, what faith are you, what are we talking about? What What, what teachings do you cling to, right? If you're of the Christian faith and you hold to a certain set of dogmas. So here's a guy. <laughs> if we use faith in the modern sense, here's a guy who's a Roman soldier, which means he's not Jewish, which means, you ready for this part of the scandal? He's not monotheistic. Monotheistic means to believe in one God. He doesn't believe in one God. He believes in Jupiter and Mars and Diana and... The the, the 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 multiplicity of gods that a Roman person would serve would be for the state, uh, for the empire. Those would be like the big dogs. <laughs> then you'd have city or local deities that you had to worship and appease. And then you had household deities that you were passed down and uh, from generation to generation. So when when Scripture talks about adoption... It's the, the whole point of adoption has nothing to do like it does today. Oh, you need a mommy and a daddy. <laughs> the idea of adoption was that if you didn't have someone in your family to carry on service to your household gods, you had a problem. So you would adopt someone and part of their responsibility was, I will continue to serve the gods that your family has served for generations that your ancestors have served. So here's a guy who believes in many gods, worships many gods, serves many gods, believes in his ancestors, and is oppressing the Jewish people. So he's on the wrong side politically as well. And Jesus says, I've not found such great faith anywhere. Not even in the monotheistic culture of Israel have I found such great faith how can that be he didn't believe in Yahweh I mean Jesus had plenty of opportunities to say you need to renounce your homosexual relationship you need to renounce your belief in many gods you need to you know you need to give all this up and and then you'll have great faith because that's what we do today or that's what some people do today so I mean this is really scandalous then if it's not bad enough, <laughs> he says many will come from the east and the west. So uh, he's referencing people who don't believe in Yahweh. 
He's referencing people who are polytheistic, people coming from the East. I mean, Buddha and Hinduism was already alive and well. People coming from Egypt and still clinging to the gods of Egypt. So you get all these people, and he says, many will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the Abrahamic religions, and feast in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom <laughs> will be thrown out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. See why I said this is one of the most scandalous... I mean, we have no idea what Jesus is doing because we make Jesus fit our paradigms. <laughs> Imagine if that happened in churches today. Imagine if that happened at Liberty University today. <laughs> to Jerry Falwell's group or, or uh, who's the other old guy um, that's on TV? Pat Robertson's group or... You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus not only healed this guy, but he announced he's got greater faith than anybody in the church. <laughs> and oh yeah, by the way, all these pagans, all these people that you think are other than, all these people that you think that are, that you hate, all these people that you think need to, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, all, all those people, yeah, they're going to come sit down. But all of you that think you have your religious stuff right, you're going to be thrown out in outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's scandalous. Now, I started looking at this passage because I wanted to deal with outer, dark, outer darkness. But let's just talk about it for a minute. So what, what, is, what is outer darkness then? I mean, it, you begin to see something emerging here. That outer darkness is actually this place where you think you see, but you don't. That you don't know that you don't know. Alright, so let's deal with our problem again. I'm going to come back to this and revisit this a little bit and just keep layering this. Our problem is we think in terms of dualism, but dualism does not exist in reality. It does not track back to actual experience. And it causes us real problems. I saw a post on Facebook uh, I don't know who put it up there, but somebody posted, because uh, there's a verse in the Bible in Isaiah that says, God uh, created good. Behold, I create light and darkness. Behold, I bring forth good and evil. And they're like, God can't create evil, and that's caused us a lot of problems. It did not cause the ancient people problems, because they did not think in dualistic terms. And so I saw somebody post, if God created evil, like Isaiah said, then he cannot be Whole, totally, wholly good. Completely good. You see the dualism? Because dualism forces categories or forces you to look at things in categories that we have made up that contain characteristics that are clo they're a closed system. So in other words, good over here is completely closed. It's totally all good. And there are no influences in it whatsoever from this other side that we call evil. And evil over, exists over here as a completely closed system, having no influence from that which is good. They're completely diametrically opposed, and there is no spectrum in between. That's what dualism forces it. That, 
excuse me, that's how dualism forces you to think. And so then out of our concept of good and evil, our dualistic concept of good and evil, we make up, if you will, our image of who God is. I mean, it's really simple to see by just looking at the words, right? God is good minus... <laughs> I mean, you take the O out of good and you get God, you add a D to evil and you get devil. So out of that dualism then, we create a false concept of a deity that fits in that closed system of what we call good. And we create a false concept of a devil that also fits in that concept of what we call good. And we, we pretend, we pretend that there are these diametrically opposed invisible forces that we then have to contend with. And that's where the split comes from. Now, our problem is, is that we can't be fully good. So then what happens? Which category do you put yourself in? And everybody wants to be a good person. And everybody, for the most part, thinks they're a good person. Or they vacillate between thinking they're a good person and thinking they're an evil person. (laughs) Depending on the day. They beat up on themselves, or right, and and so we have this idea of good that we that we try to be, and our problem is it's a complete phantom. It's a complete and total illusion, and I'm sorry, illusion and delusion to try to fit into that. And so then we divide ourselves and we use that as our standard to kill ourselves. <laughs> Which is why eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because and, 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 Yahweh is not good all the time. <laughs> like if we did church honestly, we would read some of the passages where it's where there's genocide. I mean, the, 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 the Noah flood is a, is a horrific story to tell your kids. I, I crack up when I had kids, you know, and it's like, it's like people were doing their nursery and, and Noah's Ark themes. Cause of the, and, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, so here's this happy Noah family and all these animals and oh, isn't this great for our kids? And, and, and they, when, when my kids started going to the Christian school out here, they asked me, this is funny. I, they asked me to come do devotionals for the kids. And the first one I had to do was Noah's Ark. And so I went in there all happy and I'm telling Noah's Ark story. And I'm like, why am I telling this like horror story? Like, why do I want to traumatize these kids? Because, <laughs> right? And I just, it just hit me when I'm talking to these children. Like, this is not a cool story. This, this is not, this is not a nice bedtime story. God got so pissed off at humanity. He was sorry he ever made them. Because they were only evil continually. So he had to wipe them out. And the only person he could find (laughs) was a drunkard (laughs) who's, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing he does is plant a vineyard and get toasted. And then I don't know what went on in the tent. 
That's probably scandalous too. All we know is, is his son walked in on the tent and saw something he shouldn't have seen. And when Noah woke up, he was so angry, he cursed his grandson. For all generations. So here's a nice guy. Here's a guy that gets hammered and is doing something naked. That's all it says. He saw him something naked. So he's doing something naked in his tent. We don't know what. And the one son comes in and does what brothers do. Goes to the brothers and says, hey, dad's... I don't know what dad's doing, but maybe, you know, because God said he was the righteous one. I mean, he was the one that God chose to save. <laughs> Check this out. And the other sons go in there, and when Noah finds out that the, that the you know, that, uh, I think it was, was it Ham? When Ham, when he said that Ham saw him, then he, he and, and Ham had a grandson, Canaan. So just imagine you grandparents, your little grandson running around. And Noah's so upset, won't take responsibility for what he did in his drunken stupor. And so what does he do? He just looks at the grandson and curses him. <laughs> yeah, that was such a powerful curse that that is the basis. And you can tell me all day long. See, then can I just, I'm just going to talk about stupid things we believe in the church. Because there's people like, if you Google stuff, they're going to talk to you about Nephilim. What are the Nephilim? Well, in Genesis 6, right before the flood, it says that the angels of God got turned on by the the daughters of women. And they came down and had some kind of sex party with them. And they turned... I'm sorry. I mean, I don't mean to, like, be offensive, but this stuff is in the good book. (laughs) So they got wildly turned on, had this party, and they got them pregnant. All these women, and so they gave birth to... The, now, how this happens, I don't know. And why people who, you know... Well, anyway. I mean, people, adults, people with degrees, PhDs believe this stuff. And so, anyway, they gave birth to a super race of human beings. Now, some people would argue, you know, those were extraterrestrials, and there are skeletons of giant human beings and all that stuff. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying the Bible's explanation was the angels got turned on, came down, cohabitated, and boom. Now you have Nephilim, right? All right. So then they'll tell you that that God was going to wipe out everything in the flood. All the Nephilim seed. This is the logic people have with the Bible. Drives you crazy. Is this boring? Are you sure? So the, God's going to wipe out the Nephilim seed. And the reason he saved Noah and his family because they were... <laughs> they're the only pure seed left. They're only the only ones whose DNA has not been tainted. So vineyards, drunkenness, tent nakedness, whatever, aside, they were at least pure human beings. <laughs> Cursing your grandkid. I mean, what a nice guy, right? And this is the story we tell our kids before they go to bed. So they can learn to be good. <clears throat> so then, you know, Noah gets mad and he curses Canaan. So then, 400 and, or however many years, hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, this is a powerful curse. The Israelites supposedly, according to the story, go into the promised land to wipe out the Canaanites. And so my point is, God is not 
like what we don't do is like, you know, God is good all the time. Oh, he got so mad he wiped out the, <laughs> the human race with the blood. But he realized that was a naughty thing to do. So he put a rainbow in the sky to promise us he'll never do it again. And then, you know, like he goes in and, and, and does genocide. He tells him, go in and kill the babies. Go in and kill the little girls. Kill the little children. Go in and wipe them out and destroy. But save the trees. So, you know, God was at least the conservationist. <laughs> Literally. He, he said, wipe out the human beings, wipe out the plant, the animals, but save the trees. It's, it's in the book. Like, how come they don't make worship songs about that stuff? Because it doesn't fit our dualities. But see, Yahweh was not du- dualistic. Yahweh was jealous and angry. And, and anyway, the reason, so you, you ask people, you know, well, well, what about this God in the Old Testament that, like, commanded genocide? <clears throat> and people say, well, God's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. <clears throat> That's a comforting thought. God seems kind of fickle. Or they'll tell you, they'll tell you, well, you know, his ways are higher than our ways, and so who are we to sit in judgment of God? And it's like, if our morality is so freaking twisted that we don't realize that to be on the side of genocide is to be on the wrong side. (laughs) Like, you can't be more wrong than to be on the side of wiping out an entire people group. Murdering them. Like, you can't, it's, it's impossible to be more wrong. I mean, depending on your perspective, and I don't mean to be offensive, but, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity offender if you haven't figured that out by now. <laughs> I saw this, I saw this diagram of the, the solar system, and it had, you know, like, cause you could look in the, like, I've seen it in telescopes. Like, I've seen it for myself. Like, in high-powered telescopes, like, Saturn is round. Venus is round. Mars is... Right? And the Earth is a plate. <laughs> So you got you got balls spinning around the sun, but you have one plate that we're all living on. And my point is, if you're on the side of genocide, like you you like flat earthers aren't as wrong as you are. Hope I didn't offend somebody with that statement. But you get the point, right? So, but then they come back and they say, well, the reason God wiped out the Canaanites, so they give you all these answers because they don't know their Bibles. You go to Christian leaders, I've gone to people with PhDs in theology and asked this question. And they'll say stuff like, well, God's justice is above our justice. They were so evil and pagan and horrible and they were doing all this stuff and child sacrifice and stuff like that, that God had to wipe them out. Well, there were lots of cultures that were doing that. Why the Canaanites? That was common in the ancient Near East. Why, I mean... Why did, why did God kill them? Right? And then I had one person tell me, well, they were Nephilim. <laughs> He's wiping out the Nephilim seed. And I'm like, that's a real head scratcher. Because it's like, 
in the story, in the Enoch story, and confirmed in the Bible in the book of Jude, God took the angels that did all that stuff, those naughty angels, and he, he put them in a place called Tartarus. Like in jail. Like he, he incarcerated them. So had they served their sentence? Like, like, like if he wiped them out, did God make a mistake and he didn't kill them all in the flood? Or he just let some other angel, some other angel snuck out at night while dad was asleep? Like, like how did the Nephilim all of a sudden show up? And the truth is, it's in the Bible why God commanded them to kill the Canaanites. It went back to Noah and his curse on his son. And the only reason God ordered them to be wiped out was because they had the wrong address. That's what the Bible says itself. That's the reason God gave. You wipe them out because of where they live. But God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Because we have these categories of dualism. And it's so infected our Western mentality. What's frustrating to me is people will break out of the bonds of religion for spirituality, and then they will build their spirituality out of these same dualistic concepts. And just try to be all love or all pure or all light or all whatever. And it's just another dualistic category. It's the same thing with different window dressing. And no freedom. And no, and not real self-love. And not, it's not reality. So I mentioned last week, and I, it didn't get saved, but I mentioned last week, so where does this concept of hell come from? You realize the concept of hell is not a Jewish concept. The Hebrew Bible has no concept of hell whatsoever, but the Greeks had a concept of hell. Before Christianity came to, um, uh, like Germany and Norway and places like that, the Norse people had a concept of hell. Their, con- their concept of hell was cold, not fiery. Imagine that. <laughs> Tibetan Buddhists have a concept of hell that will make your Christian version look tame. Most people know because we, we have this romantic idea about Buddhism in the West that we don't even know what it's all about either. But the fundamentalist aspects of it... They have a horrible hell. <laughs> Muslim scriptures and the Quran talk about the judgment of God and hell as like ten times scarier than Dante's Inferno. So this is something that shows up in our stories, it shows up in our art over and over and over again. Where does it come from? It comes from the depths of our own psyche. It comes from our own self-denial. I said this last week. What, what, what is What is hell? What is it? Just the, the traditional concept, when, when you think about it. What is it? It's a place of fire, right? It's a place of suffering. It's a place of torment. It's a place of pain. And it's inhabited by whom? Bad. By bad people. And who are the bad people? Everybody but me. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody but me. Everybody who doesn't think like me or whatever. Right? Everybody who doesn't believe like me. The, yeah, especially the sexual people and, and what else? There are devils down there, right? And they don't have any benevolence because they're over here in this completely evil category. So they're just stabbing you with pitchforks or whatever. 
When the truth is, it's everything we deny about our own humanity. We don't want to face our traumas. We don't want to face our pain. So we stuff it away. We don't like parts of ourselves that don't fit with our categories of good and evil. So we, we hide them from ourselves and we project them onto other people. We can't deal with our frustrations. We have, we, we still have an animal nature. I mean, this was kind of the way God made us, right? So we still have those aggressive urges. We still have those urges to procreate. I mean, and I'm, I'm just telling you psychology. I mean, Sigmund Freud said, you know, in the, in the deep unconscious, there exists two primary drives. A primary drive for aggression or death, and a primary drive for creation or sex. And those are the two strongest forces and most powerful forces that exist inside of human beings. And if you don't believe that, watch the mob mentality. If you don't believe that, watch two people get angry with each other and fight. If you don't believe that, watch two people get angry with each other and fight over the same woman <laughs> or the same man. Now you got both drives kicking in. And look at the passion and the fury and the energy and the strength of all that. And, 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 we, and we lock it away in, in some imaginary place because we don't want to face it about ourselves. And so we, number one, we don't see the value in those drives. And number two, we don't know how to harness that energy in order to raise it and use it for the benefit of ourselves and those around us and the benefit of humanity. We're too, we're too busy trying to fit this dualistic, phony, fairy tale category of being the perfect person or being this totally good person. And then you throw religion on top of that, and I'm going to tell you the greatest enslaver of humanity in many cases is Jesus Christ. And the greatest enslaver of humanity in many places is Yahweh or the God of the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus, the real Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the religious garbage that comes around and says, you have to give up your free will. You cannot move in any kind of independence. You have to be totally submitted to this totalitarian monster. And if you don't fully obey him and fully believe like you're supposed to believe, then he's going to torture you for all eternity. And if he doesn't torture you, he's going to give your kids cancer to try to get your attention, to try to teach you something. Or maybe you didn't tithe, so, so you got sick or got cancer. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I have been very vocal about the enslaving powers of religion and calling people into a place of freedom. But I'm going to tell you something right now. All these people that call themselves Christians and think they have love and all this other stuff. If something happened to me, if something happened to one of my kids. They, in their evil hearts (laughs) that they deny, would stand there and justify and feel justified and vindicated by God in their position. And say, well, he brought it on himself. Absolutely right. And we masquerade as people of love. And we teach people. I, I know places where, where they, 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 they... And so then, then people stand up like myself, like I used to, and say, well, I'm a representation of God, and so I'm here to tell you what the good people do and what the bad people do, and you better conform to my pattern. And it's a form of manipulation, brainwashing, and mind control. Absolutely 100%. 100%. And it makes people mentally ill. It makes them sick in their mind and sick in their spirit. And it begins with these categories of dualism. 
And the so, but but dualism doesn't exist. Let me show you. Let me show you Genesis just real quick, and then I'll I'll, I'll finish up. This isn't how I saw this going today, but. But I mean, we use a book to ensnare people, put them in bondage, make them other than us, justify wars, justify discrimination. This book has been used for centuries to just, you realize it was the Christians. You know why the Christians taught the African slaves the Bible? They taught them the parts where it was, slaves obey your masters. They, 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 this book has been used as a force for, insli- for, for, for the most dehumanizing, inhumane actions throughout the history of the Western world. And they're still oppressing women. And don't even get me started on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking at some point about the divine feminine. But I want you to think about something. If, if you're a Christian, you know what you are? You, 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 are, you, you are being raised. You believe in your Father in heaven. You are being raised by a single dad. Because the divine feminine has been totally sent into exile. And you start talking about the divine feminine and people... This, this is how... Deep this is, and what a problem this is in our culture. People get so triggered. People get so triggered if you start attributing feminine aspects and energies to God. S. People get so triggered that all of a sudden gender, well, God's not gender, God's genderless. God transcends gender. God is spirit, God... God doesn't have genitalia. No shit, Sherlock. Where was that outcry about gender when everybody was calling God Father? It's not so much about the nature of God as it is the symbolic nature of our religious and the effect it has on our psyche and on our society and on our culture. Because we have male archetypes, that's all. Another another duality. We have male archetypes for God. Lord, Master, King, Savior, Father, Prince. Right? And the masculine energy in the ancient world was the emperor. <laughs> Fully manifested that masculine energy, which is why people falsely believe that there is some God in the sky who is obsessed with rule-keeping who acts just like an emperor, who acts just like the totalitarian governments of the ancient world. And we want to hold up that archetype to people and keep them in bondage. But boy, you start talking about the more feminine archetypes. You start talking about things like loving and nurturing and caring and protecting. All of a sudden, oh, gender doesn't matter. God doesn't have gender. Well, how come you weren't screaming that yesterday when you were praying to our Father who art in heaven? Uh, how did I get off on that? It's a problem, gang. Because you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't be balanced in your own life. A few years ago, you know, everybody was this orphan spirit teaching. I don't know if you guys remember when that was popular, but people were getting in touch with their hurts and their wounds and all this. 
And, and, and so, you know, they're, they're, and, and where were they being pointed in the church? To the Father. So all we did was create a more emasculated version of God because what the child of God was looking for was his divine mother, not his divine father. But because we have no place for that in our paradigm, we just emasculated God a little bit. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And then when the, when, when the shack comes out, when the shack comes out, and heaven forbid, God the Father Papa is a black woman. I mean, you got to love that. All right, I'm... Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he made. Everybody just say everything. And indeed it was very good. God what? Saw. So when you're looking through God's eyes, everything in creation that he made was what? Very good. Where's the devil? Where's Lucifer? All right, now watch this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Think about that. What did that mean? Was he walking around with his eyes closed? Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when they eat the fruit, what happens? The eyes of both of them are open and all of a sudden now they're ashamed. So they are calling something evil that God called very good. That's the issue. That you go from looking through the eyes of God to the eyes of man in his individual consciousness, which means, I'm going to tell you this, this holds up in Scripture, and you know this is true, good and evil is always in the eye of the beholder. The guy that flies airplanes into buildings thinks he's doing something good. The person whose children are dying in the building think it's evil. It's all a matter of perspective. We think shooting missiles off and, you know, killing our enemies is good. People watching their families die and their country being torn apart think it's evil. And we just keep perpetuating the same system because we're operating at that lower level of consciousness. Because when you look through the eyes of God, everything is very good. And I know that's hard to grasp. That just like blows your com- your computer systems, <laughs> right? But here's... I, I didn't even get to what I wanted to talk about this morning. Yeah. So let me just give you a brief nugget because people are like, well, where do I start? Where do I start? Like outer darkness are those places that you exile parts of yourself that you don't know how to deal with. But they don't go away. They keep knocking on your door. They keep raising their hand like Arnold from Welcome Back Carter. You remember that? kind of how the debates have gone. I was just cracked up with the debates, man, watching. Like, 
I'm like, you know, they're running for president. Couldn't we have a buzzer? I mean, Jesus. People on Jeopardy and Family Feud look more dignified than the people running for the leadership of the free world. I mean, dear God, give them a buzzer. So at least we don't have to watch. (laughs) Sorry. I'm in quite the mood today, aren't I? (laughs) Equal opportunity offender, I know, right? I mean, really, seriously. That'd be much better, wouldn't it? Oh, Bernie, you, you, you're first. It'd be so much more fun to watch. I swear, I watched. Uh, I thought this surely is an SNL skit and not a real debate. But anyway, moving right along. I thought the same thing with the Republican debates, by the way. I'm on record as saying it. I mean, they just remind me of Saturday Night Live skits on both sides. It's like, my God. And I mean, like, and I'm sorry if you like Mike Bloomberg or whatever, but, like, couldn't somebody have prepared him just a little bit? Like, you knew that was going to be the first question that came out of the shoot, right? Like, about the scandals with the women or whatever, right? Like, wouldn't you have a prepared answer? And, like, wasn't he kind of like, like, if you saw the debate, wasn't he kind of like, Where do I go with this? You know, and, and, and I mean, it just destroyed him. It destroyed his campaign. He lost the election in that moment. Like, how could you not? You're running. You're a billionaire. You're running. And you're running for the highest office in the land. You ought to be a little bit prepared. Just like the other lady should have known the name of the president of Mexico. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My expectations are a little bit higher if you're on the freaking immigration committee. I expect at least the basic knowledge out of my school teachers. I don't think I'm out of line to expect that. Maybe, just maybe, if you want us to take us seriously, you shouldn't make that kind of faux pas. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I go at it both sides. Right? So now all the conservatives can be my friends for a couple of weeks and all the liberals can be mad at me. But I, I'm just like, for the love of God, what has happened to us? I mean, Trump, at least you got to hand it to Trump because they, they ask him about his scandals. He doesn't, he's not looking to hide. He sticks his chest out. <laughs> yeah, she was pretty good. Ties you know, his tie. I'm just like, my God. But, you know, maybe this mess that we're seeing in, in politics is just showing us our own shadow self. And the parts of ourselves that we don't like and that we hide and everything is just being paraded out in front of us so that we can deal with the, our stuff. Right? Where was I going with this? Oh, so people ask me. <laughs> Jesus, help me. So people ask me, how do, how do I do shadow work? So like, like, you can't do it as long as you're eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like the real key to all of this is love yourself. Like, if you learn nothing else but how to love yourself, this life will not have been a waste for you. And that means love the the red guys with pitchforks that are down there, too. and Love the parts of you that are hurting. and But you, you, you can't love and judge good and evil at the same time. See, the reason God can be love is because when God looks and beholds everything that He made, it is very good. 
love is such an airy-fairy word, like, we don't even know what it means, like, because it means different things to different people. But at its essence, at its core, it's about value. And when you call something good, you're assigning value to it. So when God looks at everything that he made, he says it's very good. You can feel that heart because he's giving value to everything. He values everything and every person. And you will not value every person the same, so stop trying. Stop trying to love everybody. That's an exercise in futility. You don't even know what you're trying to do. Am I wrong? We love you. Oh, Aaron, we love you and we're concerned about your soul. You can't say that stuff. And yet I know if one of my children got sick, they wouldn't be running to pray for me or bring me help. Or they'd be saying, see, see, we told you. You'd listen to us. So you can't value everybody the same. It's ridiculous if you think that I'm going to value your child as much as I value mine. Come on. And it's equally ridiculous for me to think that you're going to value my child as much as you value yours. That's not reality. But that does not mean that I cannot value every human being. (laughs) But before you work on valuing your neighbor that you hardly know or your enemy that is halfway around the world... People will use that to manipulate you and control you and put you in bondage and keep you weak because that aggressive thing that needs to come up, it needs to come up. There's a place for aggression. But if we can convince you that you just need to be this loving, gentle soul that just floats around on clouds, then we can control you because there's no aggression there to set any kind of boundaries. There's no aggression there to stand up and tell the truth. So we take away your aggression... By telling you that it's evil. (laughs) And so people manipulate. Well, you just got to love. Well, you can value. Be much better if we change it to that value. Because when you judge something out of these dualistic categories as evil, you you no longer assign any value. You no longer see any redemptive thing in them. You no longer you no longer see, if you will, from a Christian, Judeo Christian perspective, the image of God in every person. So, you know, quit trying necessarily to love your neighbor and definitely quit trying to love your enemy. Try loving yourself. Try loving yourself. How do I do that? Well, I gotta, I, you cannot love and judge at the same time. So that means all those parts of you that you hate and you want to change. See, this is the problem with shadow work. The only people who want to do shadow work are people that really hate themselves. Because they're so desperate to change. I, I don't mean it. I'm sorry. I overstated that. I'm sorry. Let me retract that statement. A lot of people who want to do shadow work only want to do shadow work because they hate themselves and they're trying to change. And that's the very thing that prevents them from doing effective shadow work. Because as long as you're doing it from a motivation of, I have to change, I have to fix myself, I have to get right, you're still operating out of value judgments. You're still operating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A different approach would be to realize that your shadow is where your power is. 
Your shadow is where your power is. And so if you want to be your best, most powerful, most loving self, then you do shadow work because you want to access the fullness of what the Creator put inside of you. It's totally different, totally different to look at myself and realize I've got tremendous potential, capacities, treasures, gifting, ability, love, Potential to manifest faith, real faith, which creates a different outcome. It's not about creeds, it's about creating a new world. And Jesus said, you can be a pagan, you can be a homosexual, you can be on the eastern hemisphere or the western hemisphere. You can be part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Judeo-Christian Abrahamic faiths, or not part of the faiths. When you realize that faith has absolutely nothing to do with the God that you believe in, and everything to do with creating a new world for yourself in the future. And all the forces and powers and ability to do that, much of that is locked up in your shadow self. So it isn't so much, I need to change my shadow self. I need to change the devil inside me to become more like the angel inside of me. And then I can be happy. It's I need to let my shadow self out of its prison. I need to let it rise up out of the dark, murky, chaotic waters of my subconscious where it keeps tripping me up with self-sabotage and bring it to a place of exaltation where its light can shine, where I am in control of it. I am master of it. I am not enslaved to it. I'm not enslaved in my pain. I'm not enslaved in my aggressions. I'm not enslaved to my sex drives. But I don't deny their presence and power and beauty of those things either. <laughs> you see the difference? So the first step is, is to love yourself. And you cannot love yourself and judge yourself. So all those parts of you that you hate, that you want to change, that you think are causing you problems, as long as you hate them and judge them, you're going to be stuck with them. <laughs> I, need to, I need to quit. I need to quit. Thanks. Thank you. Did that help you? I mean, I kind of went off today on a, like a million different tangents, and I definitely let my aggression out, so... So if you're too, like, like you got the divine masculine over here, but we don't have any divine feminine, and then we have this overreaction where everything is just, <sighs> just mommy and butterflies and rainbows. And, oh, we don't, we don't get angry. We're just love and light. You're just as out of balance. It's probably a nicer world over here. I mean, let's be honest. It's probably much nicer. Or, you know, I don't know. And then again, hell hath no fury like that of a woman scorned. So <laughs> there's the shadow side of the divine feminine too. But um. All right, I need to shut up. Let's stand up. <laughs> let's stand up if you, if you don't mind, please. Thank you for being gracious with me. This has been healing for me today. <laughs> I just say some of these things. Um...
So just take take a minute, take a few deep breaths, and just just soak in the presence of the divine right now, the the presence of God, your your own divine presence as well. Like it really is okay to love yourself fully and completely. And you can take all the shadow parts of yourself that you don't like and say, even though I get anxious, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I get angry, even though I cuss and swear in church these days, I totally, completely love and accept myself. Even though I've hurt many people, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I've been wrong many times, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I've stumbled many times, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I've had murder in my heart, even towards those I love most at times when they made me angry, (laughs) I totally and completely love and accept myself. (laughs) Even though I've told lies, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I've compromised my own integrity at times to please people, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though my body is weak and sometimes gets sick, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I question and get mad at God because of some of the things that have gone on in my life that I do not understand, I totally and completely love and accept myself. Even though I can't get over that problem (laughs) that keeps tripping me up, I can't change that situation and I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, I totally and completely Love and accept myself. Can you feel that? Can you affirm that to yourself? Can you insert your stuff in there? Even though I fill in the blank, I totally and completely love and accept myself. God bless you. Namaste. (laughs) Have a brilliant day. Thank you for listening to me just rant and carry on today. I appreciate it. God bless you.